Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Sinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. We are here with Stephanie Gurdon, who's an editorial at HarperCollins. Hi, everyone. She has a tattoo that I've just noticed that is a comma. Mm-hmm. I like commas. I sometimes overuse commas. Um, I'm lucky that editorial is content stuff and not grammar stuff because I love a comma. Um, and I got it on a vacation where I just needed to pause and like chill. Ooh, I like, like it. I was going a little New York crazy and I was like, I have to get out of here for a while and just pause like a comma. I, I love that. Mm-hmm. I know we were just talking about that. So <laughs> Stephanie, tell us about you. How did you know you wanted to work in publishing? So it's a really funny roundabout story that, that um, I started out in college as a Japanese major. Mm, of um, course. Of course, you know, like you do. Um, and I, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I got to college, and I wanted to learn Japanese. So I was like, I guess I'll do this. Um, and then around junior year, when it was too late to switch majors, <laughs> I realized that I did not want to be a translator for the rest of my life. Wow. Um, um, but I reached out to my advisor who, um, cause I was in like a huma- humanities, like honors program and was like, Hey, are there any alumni who work in books? Cause I just, just now realized that I had been defined by books my entire life and that probably I could probably make them. That's probably a profession. Um, and he put me in touch with like someone at the, see the Carnegie Mellon Press and she put me in touch with an agent who I ended up interning with. Oh, that's fantastic. The rest is history, but Yeah. My grade school, when I started kindergarten, it, the teachers all came around the week before class started just to meet us. Um, and she came to my house and she was like, yeah, we're going to teach the ABCs and the, the numbers and stuff. And my dad handed me a copy of the Beaver County Times, our local newspaper, and said, Stephanie, read, read that headline for Sister Colleen. <laughs> and so I just read it off and she was like, oh, well, we also have programs for people who can already read. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it hasn't stopped since. That is so cute. <laughs> <laughs> and how did you go from that internship to HarperCollins? It was a bit of a roundabout road um, because I was in, I went to college, at undergrad and grad school at Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh. Um, and I had a couple informational interviews around when I was looking for a job in um, after grad school. And one of them was with a person who advised me to save up a bunch of money before I moved to New York to mm. just like have like a, good padding in my savings before I moved out here. Um, so I actually stayed in Pittsburgh for two years after I finished grad school and worked at a Barnes Noble, which is publishing experience. It's to good an extent. experience. Like it's yeah. like, you know, you're like on the front lines um, and worked my way from part-timer to manager there. And then I was like, Hey, um, I'm applying for publishing jobs this summer. I'll see you later. <laughs> and then, so that from there I got a job at an agency, um, but it, the agent only did adult at nonfiction, and I really wanted to be in children's. So I kept interviewing, and now I'm at Harper. Yay. Wow. Only one internship? Good job. Well, yeah, but it was four years. Okay. I was with her. Like, I started with her in junior year, and I just kept reading for her for, like, like through junior and senior year, through grad school, and then, like, 
I still popped in occasionally while I was working at the Barnes & Noble when I had time, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so for those out there who might be interested in moving to New York and pursuing a job in publishing, what do you think is actually realistic in terms of knowing when you're ready to go? The the person I talked to recommended that I save up, that I have $10,000 in my savings before oh my I got out here. And she was right, because when I put down, like when I bought my, or when I rented my first apartment, I like between security deposit, broker fee, and rent, first month's rent, and then buying a bed Mm -hmm. and all of that stuff, I spent more than half of it. But things changed really fast. Yeah. When I got the, when I got the job offer at the agency, like she was like, can you start next week? And I was like, no, I have to move from a different city, (laughs) from a different state. Um, but I can start in two weeks so that I can give two weeks notice. Um, and I picked up, I packed some stuff up in a a suitcase and moved out here and stayed in Airbnbs until I found a, (laughs) until I found an apartment. And then my mom drove all my stuff out. It's a scary thing to do. Yeah. At the time I was just like, this is what I got to do to get where I want to be. But like looking back and I'm like, I was freaking crazy. (laughs) So just to show how much things have changed, Mm -hmm. uh, I moved here in 2006 with Mm -hmm. exactly $3,600 because I had a job working on a resort in the kitchen Mm -hmm. and they fed us and they housed us. And that was just what you made for the summer. And I Mm -hmm. saved all of it. Uh Um, and yeah, I remember being really scared because, well, I mean, rent at my first place was $500 though. Um, and you know, you could get a room that was like fairly nice. It was reasonable for $700. And now I'd say Mm -hmm. it's like a thousand for a room. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I have a two bedroom now. I live in, I I was originally up in, um, Hamilton Heights, which is like 145th in Harlem. And I was basically losing money to to Mm -hmm. live in New York at that time because the agency job, I was an assistant, but it was like a very small business. I didn't have benefits. So I was paying New York to have healthcare. It was wild. So I was still living off my savings while I was living there. And finally, like I met a girl and became friends with her. And I was like, hey, do you want to move in together? (laughs) So, uh, so now we have an apartment in, um, in Crown Heights that is around a thousand a month, which is for Crown Heights, quite good. Yeah, so much more affordable than living alone in New York. Oh my God, Julie, is that pretty much what you expected? Um, I well, I'm I'm just sitting here and I'm thinking about the barrier to entry, and I'm mm-hmm. thinking about yeah. how how as writers, you know, everyone's like, well, I don't have money, and and you know, it, it's a starving artist thing. But I just feel like this just all around the sacrifice that people make, and and the amount of time it takes to be established is it's daunting. It's daunting. And I just feel like it's something that needs to pivot. Just like, you know, the California teachers are on strike right now for just like better conditions. But it feels like, you know, that we as a community, I I don't know how you fix this, but like grants, scholarships, um, artistic, I don't know, like I don't know what, like sliders. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I don't know. What I'm trying to do right now is create a system that I can, you know, peer pressure about 20 or 30 of my agent friends into doing where Mm -hmm. everyone hires a remote intern and it is their duty for that semester to train them so that they're ready for a paying job wherever Mm -hmm. they are. Yeah, that was the roughest thing. I was so lucky that because the agent that I interned with in college, um, she lives in Pittsburgh because her husband owns a restaurant there. Mm -hmm. Um, So... But she remote, um, she like does all of her stuff remotely and, um, her agencies 
offices are in New York. And wait, she, is like, it Rachel? Um, no, it's uh, Upstart Crow Literary, Daniel oh. Chiotti. Oh, oh, wait, she's one of our faculty members. Really? Yeah, she's so wonderful. Yeah, she was... Um, See, guys, the world is so small. It's it so is so small. small. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's like New York, Maine. It's small. Don't make enemies in publishing because everyone knows each other. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, like, being able to get an internship with an agent or, like, I mean, like, the publishing house internships, they're very, like, you have to be in the office with mm-hmm. us. Like, you have to live in New York kind of stuff. But, like, agency internships, to some extent, I don't know why they can't all be remote. Like, if you're just reading, right. you know? Like, so that was something that I was so lucky to be able to meet in person. But, mm-hmm. like, we all still just brought our laptops and read her queries. Yeah. So it's like... I think what it is is people assume there's a huge tech barrier. But mm-hmm. you can do all of it with just email and the phone. Yeah. Um, what I do is I have them each schedule a 30-minute call with me once a week. Mm-hmm. And then we go over the queries they've read and tagged. We go through a series of assignments I've made for them. Um, I have them write pitch letters for fake projects mm-hmm. and fake send them out. And, like, you know, you can basically act like an agent and learn how to do it on the job from anywhere. And, yeah. and now they're getting offers. I'm so pleased. Well, that's like, great. Yeah. yeah. So if we can replicate this 30 times. You yeah. Know, that's it, so many more people that you can, cause like I, I participate in um, the representation matters uh, program, which is a, uh, like it's a mentorship program that where it pairs like a junior editor and a senior editor with some, with a person from a marginalized background who wants to get into editorial and, um, my first mentee is in Florida and she was like, I can't like, what can, how can you help me in a way that like, I can't afford to move to New York right now. I don't know when I'll be able to afford to New York, afford to move to New York. Like when, like, how can I still be involved in publishing? And so that was very challenging because yeah. like there's. Would she work on the agenting side? She ended up being more interested in like marketing. We recommended like to like connect with her local SVWI branch and like reach out to see if there were agencies that were based in her South Florida and stuff to like, just kind of get her started. Mm-hmm. But, um, but it is tricky because if you want to work at a house, they're all here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think in the future we'll be able to normalize the idea of people not physically being here mm-hmm. and make it so that we can prove over and over again that you don't have to be here to learn everything you need to know. Yeah. And I think that's why internships exist in our industry is that to hit the ground running is insistent. There's so mm-hmm. much you need so you to know. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, you're just unfortunately you're going to hold up everyone you're working for because everyone's in a time crunch already. Mm-hmm. So, Even like, like when you interview, like they have you do an edit test, which is just a reader's report. Mm-hmm. But if you don't know what that is, then you're already screwed. I just tell people to write a paragraph of what they think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, so I, like my, um, Danielle would have me do like quick summary of the plot. Like what were the strengths? What were the weaknesses? What would your decision be kind of thing? But like, <laughs> because I learned that from her, then I could go to when I t- had my interview at Harper, they sent me a manuscript to read. I was like, oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know how to critique this. Or some things like contracts. Like one of my friends is about to get hired, I think, for her first assistant position. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Knock on some wood. And she's like, can you, can I buy you a drink and you give me a crash course on contracts? And I was like, mm-hmm. there's no way you can learn that in an evening. But sure. <laughs> sure. We'll try. Let's see what happens. Let's record yeah. it. See what happens. Yeah. 
depending on what your situation is, once you're in publishing, like it can be very every man for themselves in terms of learning how to do stuff. We don't have, we have trainings when you started Harper for how to use like the file transfer system and like the, like the photo storage site and like that kind of stuff. But no one trains you on how to like, there's no one who comes by and trains you on like how to take notes for acquisitions mm-hmm. or like how to send a PNL around to get signed and like that kind of stuff. We all just train each other. The senior assistants will put a handout to the younger assistants and just be like, hey, like, I see you need to learn how to do this. Like, I'm happy to show you. So um, tell us about you. What do you do when you're not working? Um, lately, I've been trying to read books that aren't um, children's books because that's what I like. I got into children's books because that's what I care about. And that's what I like to read is middle grade and YA. And I realized about midway through this year, like or midway through 2018, that like I needed to have a hobby that was not publishing in order to like make my mental health work. <laughs> Yeah, you have to be a full person. Yeah, and it's like it's tricky too because like I'm a, I'm an enormous nerd. Um, I've been cosplaying for like 16 years now. Do you have any favorites? Um, Do you go to Comic Con? I go to I haven't I've never been to San Diego Comic Con, but I go to New York Comic Con every year. And I grew up going to like very small regional anime conventions, oh. which I actually like more than Comic Con because they're not as crowded and like you can make friends. Have more, they're more like kind of like accessible events and stuff, but um. My current favorite costume, which is a little bit of a deep cut, is a um, costume I made for the Adventure Zone podcast of Luke, the, the Lich character. So, um, like, it's mostly, like, skeleton clothes, but, like, cool. with a really fancy red robe and, like, um, skeleton makeup, and it's very fun. But, but that has always been, like, an escape for me to, like, go to conventions, hang out with my friends, like, probably get a little drunk and wander around the con floor, like... But lately, because I work in children's books, it's also a work, like a work trip, like, Mm -hmm. because I'm going to like the artist alley and looking for like illustrators, like if I want to like do a graphic novel or like a picture book or something, like I'm getting cards and like kind of putting on my professional face too. So it's kind of leaked into my thing that was my, yeah, my leisure thing. So I'm trying to find things like there's a board game night I go to now. And like, I'm trying to read adult books in my free time because like, I don't have to, my editing brain doesn't turn on when I'm writing adult books. Yeah. So that's, that's relaxing. So one thing I've wondered about is why do you think it is that graphic novels are suddenly doing so well right now? Um, I think because for one thing, I think people in the mainstream, like, first of all, it's, it's cool to be a nerd now. Um, so like even solely within like superhero comics, like more people are in like interested in that now so like there's more of a market for like there's more money flowing into the industry at large which then can expand into more um niche or like indie kind of stuff um I'm a fan of both superhero and non-superhero comics um and when people get like finicky about calling something a graphic novel versus a comic I just want to like scream because it's just a comic that's longer than like the floppy one that's stapled together like those like some graphic novels are just like six or seven of those floppy graphic novels just bound as a paperback. Like salespeople can get very antsy about calling something a comic. Like they're like, people don't buy like we don't want stuff that looks like a superhero comic. And I'm like, ah, like they're very <laughs> popular for a reason. <laughs> like I think that part of it is that people are looking for more ways to get kids reading mm-hmm. um, because Harry Potter has come and gone. Like obviously, like kids are still reading Harry Potter, but like it's not 
the thing anymore. So like this, like graphic novels are a great way for people who are reluctant readers to get into reading and realize that they can read um, and have, can have fun reading. I think that there, there are certain stories that are just better told as graphic novels, like because of like how like the cinematic like nature of the setting or like if there's cool magic that's happening and stuff, it could be cooler to see that as a graphic novel. I don't know. I think there's a, a number of reasons. I think that there's, it's also in this age of like finally realizing that we need to, we, we need diverse books. Um, it's How a did great, that take so long? I have no clue. Oh my God. That was why, that was, that was why I got wanted to get into publishing. Like when I had that aha moment, I was like, I want to make books for people so they can see themselves in the books. Like that's so important. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about a graphic novel is you don't even have to have the description of the character. You just look at them and be like, oh my God, this is a book about a black girl or like, oh my gosh, like this character is queer. And like, really connect with it that way which I think is also a reason there's still like such an issue like with being like I'm gonna use words that sound like food to describe people who aren't white oh like no you know I think that as media changes and, and you know YouTube is so popular and viral videos and and kids are so visual now that it is a really great you know Mm-hmm. It's just part of literacy. I mean, let's just say that it's it's an important piece of literacy that people sometimes dismiss, and it can create readers and it can create people that um, are very loyal to you know a story or a character or an author. and author. Yeah, I, mean, I just think it's it's anything that we can put out there that's going to keep people connected to books is mm-hmm. what we should be doing as you know working professionals in this industry. Yeah, and they're so consumable, too. Like, I I mean, I'm, like, a stupidly fast reader, but, like, I can sit down with a graphic novel and read it in, like, 45 minutes to an hour, and then I have this wonderful story that I've just read. And I think that's probably, it's not, like, probably, like, a reluctant reader is not reading it that fast, but, like, it's something that they can sit down and read and say, I read a 200-page book today. Yeah. And feel like they've actually, like, they've really accomplished something. So, well, And they can accomplish that, and that's mm-hmm. what makes it great. Exactly. So tell us. In a world of no publishing. Okay, we already know you're not doing Japanese. We're not, you're not yeah. being a translator. And there was no publishing. What would you do? Man, that's rough. See, when, I, wanted, rough. when I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut until I found out how much math you have to do. <laughs> uh, which is probably a relatable thing for many people. I wanted to be a doctor until I figured out how much math and science I'd have to do. Yeah, it's so much, so much math. Like, I just want to go to space. Like, can I just bop around in space without doing the math? Why don't you just show up and they give you the um, hey, outfit and yeah. they give you your ticket and like, your seat and go. Like, I, 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 like, I can wear a snowsuit. Like, I can wear, like, a like a onesie. Like, that's that's what this is, right? Like, and astronaut ice cream is pretty delicious. So. Yeah. Like, I have all the skills you need. Like, um, probably... This is still like a little bit of math, but like probably a marine biologist because mm-hmm. I really like, and I know like we were also, we were talking about this at work today, actually, that like a lot of people also wanted to be a marine biologist when they were a kid, but like my dad is a scuba diving instructor. And oh, cool. so I learned really early how to do it. And like, I just really love, I think the sea is so weird and interesting. And like, it's wild to me that we know less about what is the bottom of the ocean than we do about like what's light years away in space space and the ocean are my two like great fascinations so (laughs) I uh 
I would end up in one of in something connected to one of those things. So tell us, um, so what was your mind changed about with your time in the industry? So you came in and you thought the industry was a, and now you realize this particular thought is a B like, like what has changed? Um, well, one other thing, like, I think coming in, I wasn't sure really what the industry was doing to improve its diversity problem. Um, whereas like now being in it, like I, I can see more like a lot of the initiatives that are happening and like, um, more people of color being hired and, um, being welcomed into the industry and like supported also through like groups like POC and pub and Latinx and pub. Um, I did come in like almost a little dismissive of books that were for people who didn't like to read already. Um, because I was never a a reluctant reader. Like (coughs) I really gravitated toward books that were more for, like more challenging for readers. Um, whereas now I'm like really passionate about the more like poppy commercial, like consumable formats. Um, that makes my teaching heart so happy. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I mean, seriously, like, like, you know, when you have a good, so I'm a former teacher Mm -hmm. and when you have a good reader, they'll just read everything. You can be like, Oh, here's, you know, whatever, little woman, third grader. They'd be like, yes. And then you have that kid that like has never read a book and he gets that book and he is like, he, he's obsessed by it and he's like hiding it and he loves that book. And, and there's something magic in that relationship. Like the first time a kid falls in love with a book and you get to see it, especially when they're older, it's like they grip onto it more. And so like, for me, that's the most important thing in children's literature with the whole darn thing. Yeah, I think that's so, like, that moment when you, like, really see a person connect with a book is so wonderful. And, like, it's really tragic to me to read stories from people who, like, didn't read a book that felt they felt like it represented them or, like, they felt that they could connect with until they were, like, an adult. Like, if you ever hear, like, Adam Silvera talk about, like, he's, like, such a famous writer of queer stories, like, queer writer of queer stories now, but, like, he didn't, like... He, he, he tells the story at like panels and stuff that he was reading the mortal instrument series by Cassandra Clare. And there's a queer character who has like a happy relationship and in, in as part of the story. And he had never seen a book that had another like gay person in it before. And so he was just like, Holy crap, I can write like, if she can write this, I can write it. Like, and I've heard so many stories like that, that I think it's so, that's why it's like, so important to me to get stories into kids' hands that they can connect with and, like, feel, like, attached to. And I think it's so important also to show things going well. Mm -hmm. I think for a while it was one of those things that we had to specify, don't punish the character because they're different. Don't Mm -hmm. let bad things happen to them. I want to see these characters in positions of power who triumph. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, we, um, and I can spoil this now because it just came out, but, um, we do a series that I'm very in love with um, called TBH, which I think is just really wonderful because, because of its accessibility, it's told, it's mixed media told in um, like emails and texts at like group chats and like notes passed in class kind of thing between like a group of best friends. And the first one deals with cyberbullying and like exclusion, like from 
like in middle school and the second one has like a subplot that's about like a friend dealing with racism and the third one like when I was editing the, the second one I was talking with um the other editor and I was like hey like these two girls feel like they really have like some subtext here like they're really close friends like she's talking about how she doesn't get how her other friends are so into boys mm-hmm. like there's the the possibility for a like very sweet middle grade appropriate like queer relationship here and um and she read the like the revision that I had just read and she was like oh wow yep yep I see what you're talking about <laughs> and so we pitched it to the author and she was like that's a cool idea like I'll do it and so like in the one the third one that just came out there's like a little bit of a sweet like sixth grade like crush situation Aww. between two of the girls and I think that's like so important to like get out there and these things fly off the shelves at like Target and stuff because yeah. they're so bright and colorful and so like getting like such a commercial package with like such an important message is like super cool to me. I feel like that combination can really help people see it as not only this is possible but this is something that is regular that mm-hmm. Well, I think it's really age appropriate too. I mean, I mm-hmm. think like in, like in my kids' school, kid, like sixth grade was the year that, that it was it was like a lot of kids coming out, and um, and I found it really refreshing, you know, that they were like, "We're in sixth grade. This is who I am. You know, this is how it's going to be." And the kids were like, "Okay." That's, you know, but it's a future. Yeah, <laughs> right. it, like in a progressive town for sure. Yeah. You know, but. But, you know, like that sixth grade is, that's a time where everyone's kind of dealing with their sexuality, whether you're straight or gay or, or whatever, you know, oh, yeah. because, because it's so awkward. And if you can mm-hmm. kind of just hit that, like, just like tiny nuance of it, it doesn't need to be in your face romance. Yeah. It's just, it's just like, I like you. Mm-hmm. And it's like, regardless, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's like here, my other friends are like worrying about their crushes on boys. And I'm wondering if maybe I have a crush on my neighbor, like, yeah. who happens to be a yeah. girl. Like, it's just... Like, I know it feels like the world is going the other way sometimes, but I... (laughs) Don't get me started. But not for kids, really. Yeah. But not for the kids. The kids Mm -hmm. are okay, you know? They really are. Well, I think, yeah, it's like, we've had a lot of books that are coming out stories and, Mm -hmm. like, really coming to yourself stories, uh, whatever that identity is. And, like, those books are so important. But, Mm -hmm. like, at the same time, after, like, we've had a lot of them, and that's not the only defining experience in a queer person's life like there are other things that you can tell a story about that aren't about that particular moment that are totally worthwhile like I would love 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 a submission that was like a like and we're getting more of them now but like the like queer girl fantasy Mm, novels would love them so what else are you wishing for these days um well I'm working on filling out my manuscript wish list so that will be out in the world soon. Um, but stuff like that. Um, I really, I like reading literary middle grade, but I feel like it's not as accessible. And so like, I feel like I am, have become a more commercial middle grade person since I started. Um, I really like Percy Jackson-esque stuff. Like the stuff that the Rick Riordan imprint is putting out is all wonderful. Um, I would love anything that's about like from the perspective of like like something that happened in like a non-white culture or like something from an Eastern perspective. Like this like a historical that's not set in Europe. Like that kind of thing. Like I do like historical. I don't. It's I know it's hit or miss right now. Um, but I do like it. So. What's something you wish writers knew about things on our side of the desk? One thing, like, we're all on your team. 
like that's a big one like I like like I know like at the beginning it's like kind of contentious because it's like we have to be the corporate people like making the offer and like but like we want your book to do well like we want every we want all the best for you like we like and it is something that as a young editor I'm still growing on is like we want like we want your book to be the best it can be like none of our edit notes are coming from a place of unkindness <laughs> it's like we're not like don't feel insulted by like what we want we just want to take we wouldn't have bought your book if we didn't like it and we just want to make it the best it is before it goes out into the world we're not out like we're not out to get you like our publicity teams aren't out to get you like we're just all we all want to make the best thing happen for your book so yeah you're trying to help people in a world that isn't always easy yeah and it's much yeah. better if you tell them than the market tells them. Mm-hmm. So tell me, what is your superhero? Like, if you were a superhero, what would be your... What would be my power? What would be your power, yes. This is one of the questions that I ask people on our podcast. <laughs> 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 um, speed, speed reading with, like, um, not, not comprehension, but, like, I can, like, retain, like, with retention, I guess, like... We're, we do a series called Soldier Dogs that's about World War II and dogs because that's just what the market loves. Um, and when we were, like, when we were plotting these books out, like, the, I would just be like, oh, yeah, so this was a thing that happened in World War II, but we, like, we can't do this because this was when BJ Day was. And they'll be like, what? Like, why do you remember those things? And I was like, I learned it in high school, didn't you? <laughs> Well, people tend to retain what they're interested in. It's true. I do have a, like, weird, like, amount of knowledge about World War II, but that's because everyone, like, every piece of media is about World War II. So, if you had Google-level funding and the ability to spend 20% of your time making something, what would you make? Like, Google-level funding is, like, excessive amounts of funding. I don't know what I would make with that much money. Um, Probably, like, open my... I I would say probably open my own publishing house, but, like... There's a lot of administrative stuff that goes into that, that like I would have to use some of that money to pay someone else to do. Um, Probably like just make really cool cosplay stuff, just like really cool props and like the kind of stuff that like, I'm like using leftover scraps from like before I moved to make costumes at this point because like I'm poor and there are no Joanne fabrics in New York City. There's Um, only a Michaels mm -hmm. and it's far. It's far. It's really far. Just having like infinite resources and like it would be a great, great to be even be able to make one of my friends that I also like go to cons with is um very invested in like maker spaces and stuff like that like she was doing her PhD on like how like kind of cosplay intersects with like technical learning and like math spatial mathematical and spatial stuff because like one of the things that like cosplayers just do is like look at an anime frame and say like I'm gonna make that sword and then they just, like, build it out of foam and stuff and, like, aren't thinking about, like, I just did math and engineering. They're just mm-hmm. saying, like, I built a sword. Um, so, like, be- maybe being able to, like, create, like, something like that that's, like, a makerspace where people can come and kind of, like, just have the supplies to make whatever kind of cool thing they want to make would be really cool. My gosh, I love it so much. So, can I jump on this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, getting, I'm getting all excited with our money. <laughs> <laughs> what you're creating could be such a boom for all children, you know? Mm-hmm. And 
like a place to go and a place to explore and a place where you're accepted. I want to fund this. Cool. Cool. I'll start a Kickstarter tomorrow. And It'll be I, great. Oh, be awesome. I absolutely think kids can do it. My cousin's 15 and she has this Etsy store for the yarn that she hand dyes. Oh my gosh. It is amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> she like teaches classes online and mails people kits. Oh my God. <laughs> that's awesome i'm like all right <laughs> my cosmos are held together with like tape and glue i wouldn't like sell i wouldn't ever like take commissions because yeah when like, i was making costumes i was making patterns with like literally duct tape and a bag so it didn't stick to me mm-hmm. and i'm like all right this is custom it'll work chop yeah. chop so so yeah glue <laughs> yeah yeah um so you also have a podcast. Why don't you tell us a little about your podcast? Um, so me and my friend Dom have a podcast called Character Reveal. And um, it was his idea, but I also take some credit for it. Um, we looked at kind of like the atmosphere on Twitter and how like people like who aren't like really big celebrities, like like at, like an A-list celebrity that you would see in a magazine, but like who are celebrities in their industry, like how you would look at like um, like in podcasting, you might look at like Sarah Koenig or like the McElroys or someone who like aren't big, but like in like in like an actual sense, but are big in terms of like their following online and how like we treat them the same as like a really A-list celebrity when they like screw something up, mm. like, and, or like even just do something that like part of the community disagrees with. And like, there's such a like hate spiral of people like in every fandom community on Tumblr or on Tumblr. Oh my gosh, on Twitter, on Tumblr too, but like Twitter is what we're talking about. Um, and like Dom's very tied into the gaming community. So like, it's, there are some not good people out there and we felt like it would be harder to attack people in such a like, dis- like detached way. If you saw them as a person and not just mm-hmm. as like, a like a, like robot that spit out the product that you like. Yeah. So we wanted to like talk to people and have conversations that weren't so much like, what do you do? Tell us about the, part, the video game you made or the comic you made or the book you wrote. Like, um, like what shows have you watched recently that you like? We're just like humanize people. And like, we've had some really fun conversations. Like we've talked to bloggers and like directors and a, like so probably like 60% video game people because that's Dom's connections. But like, it's really fun just to like jump on and chat. And when we don't have a guest, then we just talk about like whatever geeky thing happened that week. So like this week we talked about the Steven universe finale and like, (laughs) well, it's interesting too, how everyone says, don't compare your inner self to everyone else's outer self, or Mm -hmm. don't compare your inner self to everyone's Facebook self Mm -hmm. or Instagram self. Yeah. But because we're so used to seeing Instagram selves, we're supposed to edit ourselves so carefully. Mm-hmm. And if you're that careful, how are you going to be creative? Yeah. And like one of the things that I like, I don't know who I heard it from, but at some point in my life, someone told me you can't be jealous of someone unless you're jealous of all of the things that they have. And not That's just actually great. It, like it's, it really changed my life, honestly, because like, like you can't be jealous of like your friend who makes more an hour than you if you're if you're not also jealous of the fact that they dropped out of college mm-hmm. and that like they um don't have x or y or like the other mm-hmm. thing that you have like you have to like if you want to be have something that that person's you have to accept all the other things that that person has like well then you're looking at them as a person versus a set of traits exactly which is so, a lot more fair yeah. i 
Yeah, I wish everyone was looking at everyone as a complete person versus as a, what can they do for me? Or how do they look in this Photoshopped version of things? Yeah, like if you judge people solely from like their Instagram presence, Mm. like you're never going to get the whole person. And you're just going to be sad. You're going to feel pretty (laughs) lonely. You're going to be depressed. You're going to be like, oh man, like I have dimples. Like what's this? Yeah, right. (laughs) So. I have all the things she Photoshopped out. Exactly. Mm. So how about one one more question? Yeah. So what's your number one tip for writers? Um, No pressure. No pressure. A jokey number one tip is, like, cut your prologue. Um. (laughs) (laughs) But not totally joking. But not totally joking. Yeah. um, Prologue almost never has to the story. Like, you probably don't need it. Especially Um, if it's italicized. Have you noticed that? mm -hmm. If it's italicized, I just... mm. Yeah. Like, just don't. You don't need it. Like, jump in, jump me in, like, in Medius Rest. Like, I want to know what's happening in the real, like, in the real timeline. Um, um, that is Latin for start in the middle. Yeah. And get published. <laughs> <laughs> Another weird thing that I remember from high school. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, from Oedipus, right? I think so that's yeah, what we learned. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that. Um, but also, write what you know is the reason that there are so many novels about professors having affairs with their students. Mm. Oh. Um, There is a happy medium between going completely outside of your lane and then writing only what you know. Like, if I wrote only what I knew growing up, then I would be writing a entirely white, like, entirely Catholic, because I went to Catholic school for 12 years, like, in a small, like, red county, like... I would not be representing what the actual world looks like. I would only be representing what my tiny slice of the world looks like. So, like, you're going to probably get something wrong. Like, we all get something wrong. And, like, it hurts more when you're called out for getting something wrong when you had good intentions. But, like, learn from it and don't, like, lash out about it and still do the work. Like, in, like even like with stuff like writing diverse characters into your stories, if you are from, like, a privileged background, research that stuff the way, the same way, like, Writers are, like, notoriously comically neurotic about, like, I was trying to write this book, and then I went on down a rabbit hole for two hours about, like, the, the rivers in Missouri. And, like, <laughs> have that same level of neurosis about making sure that your characters are, rep- like, represented in a realistic way. Like, it's—we had Danielle Clayton come once to Harper to give a talk about sensitivity reads and, like, um, writing diverse characters and that sort of thing. And she said something which I think is very— on point, which is that often like sensitivity and diversity and make like sensitivity reads and making sure that your book represents people in a realistic and respectful way. It's not like a political issue or anything. It's a craft issue. You should look at it the same way that you look at like making sure that like the, like your room is always in the same, like the furniture in your apartment, like the apartment you've written is always in the same place. And like making sure the story works from start to finish. Like it's a craft thing that you should give the same respect to as anything else. Can you talk for a second about how editors not accepting unagented work is an actual rule and not just something you do to be mean? Oh yeah. Yeah. And we're not doing it to be mean. Um, we actually only can accept agented submissions. That's like a company policy. Um, I think it's so that we can actually work occasionally. Um, so that we're getting submissions that have been vetted through like a level of trust like because we built like you build trust in relationships with agents um and like some submissions are really great and some submissions are not 
if we had submissions like outward facing, like we would only be able to do submissions all the time. Like we wouldn't have be able to work on the books that we'd already signed up. Like I'm, I'm currently behind on submissions for myself and the editor that I still report to. And that's from just agent and submissions. So like, that's a, a thing. Mm-hmm. And you're not taking a long time to spite people. Ne- we're never taking a long time to spite people. And we are trying to do more stuff that like, because getting an agent is also one of those barriers to entry that can be difficult for mar- people from marginalized backgrounds. Um, at least I know at Harper, like we had like a, like an open inbox that we had set up for a while that was like for like own voices, writers of middle grade. Mm-hmm. And like, I think we're probably going to do it again for YA and that kind of thing. Oh, just great. so that there's like, how do people find it? Um, I think it, I think it closed, but, um, but the HarperCollins Twitter, children's books, Twitter had tweeted, had like been boosting it. Um, is it at Harper children's? Yes. Yeah. I think it's at Harper children's we'll confirm, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, like, so the, stuff like that, like we're trying to like think about how bar- like those barriers, those traditional barriers do get in the way of, of submissions sometimes. So not to say that you're a barrier. But like, <laughs> it's okay. I, mean, I know that on the subway, I'm literally an obstacle. So, <laughs> super. Thank you so much. This was a pleasure. Yeah, yeah thank you so much for joining fun. us. Yeah. Where can we find you online? That's the one thing. Like, yeah. people are looking for you. Yeah. Where are you? Um, I'm on Twitter. Um, that's the only social media I have that's really like, pro- like professionally facing. So, um, that is at Captain Steph. Follow me. Like, don't tweet me your submissions, but like. <laughs> I do. In particip- general, don't tweet submissions. Yeah, like, but like, also I can only accept agents and submissions anyway. But like, I participate in all of the like pitch festivals and stuff that go on on Twitter. And like, if you do follow me, you'll get like a pretty solid mix of like memes and angry political stuff and publishing related stuff. And like me occasionally saying every so often that stuff like diversity isn't a trend. Like. It's just we fixed something, and now we're trying to fix it more. Like, um, yeah. Also, can I mention that Stephanie's hair is a gorgeous shade of blue? Oh, thank you. Just yeah. Part of it. It's kind of like ocean blue. I wonder if it has to do with your marine biology interest in the past. Um, we can say that. Sure. The, the, the real thing is that it was teal for a long time, and I went, last time I went to the hairdresser, I was like, I think I need something different color this time. Yeah. So it went like a purpley blue. blue. Yeah. Yeah. I could see this being in a graphic novel. It's a good blue. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Stephanie, thank you so much. This has been a total pleasure and it's so great to meet you. Yeah, this was wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. And not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to Academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with First Pages Podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.